if you do something that you enjoy, that you do consistently, and you know, over time it starts to build where it's you know, from a business perspective, it's making you money and it's making you more money, or just from a you know overall quality of life, like you're enjoying it and you're getting more pleasure at it. Like you're just whatever that thing is that makes you happy, you know, if you just kind of keep doing it, you don't have to have the answers right away. Ben Zettler, it is good to have you here on Ecomotics. Uh, what's new with you? You know what? I had a baby recently. That's what's new with me. I'll go with oh, that one. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, he's he's awesome. He's three months old, and he uh, he's going a little little bit of a sleep regression right now, but uh, but we love him, so we'll keep him. <laughs> okay. okay. But that's he, been he the exciting that, thing. Yeah. I, I know it's a it's a business podcast, but um, but thankfully, I'm so glad for for once I have something non business to share. The last two years with how crazy this world has been and how busy everybody in our world has been. It's very exciting. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I, I appreciate you sharing the news with us and economics. We, yeah, yes, we are a business podcast, but like we're like 86.3% business podcast. The other, well, my math is terrible, but you know, the other like 13 or so percent uh, wax philosophical debate, God, uh, talk about family, all that, all that good stuff. So I, I, I like to think that people can unwind here if, uh, if a, a situation calls for it. But uh, that, that's fantastic. Congratulations! And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, make it worth bringing up. So I, I'm just going to ask about the time management side of this. I myself, I'm not expecting to be a father yet, but it, you know, it's on the to-do list. And one of the things that always comes to mind is like managing time, managing energy, and how much of a lifestyle shift I might have to undergo in order to be prepared to be a father in the long haul. So like, how's the adjustment process been for you? And do you see yourself like maybe you're, you're in a state right now because babies need the most amount of attention right away. And then as you know, time goes on, you can kind of like re shift back into more of a prior state. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. It's kind of in a way, something that I've planned for, for a long time. Okay, right uh, it was very much my intention when, and I'm sure we'll get into it, kind of like my background and where I've been that's taken me to where I am right now. But um, it was very much my intention, even when I was working a, a full-time job in an office, to never work in a full-time job in an office ever again. Mm -hmm. um, and so even you know, pre-pandemic, before everybody was doing it, before it was the cool thing to do, you know, I, I was working from home and that's what I wanted. And so now it's in a way, I think a little bit, it's both easier and harder. There's pros and cons. So certainly I'm around. So when it comes to having, having a child and, um, you know, I'm here to help out during the day, that also means that I need to also compartmentalize my time so that I'm still working and doing, doing what I need to do. Uh, but in a way it feels like there's a, at least from, from my perspective in these, these first few months, there's a little less pressure to, you know, feel like I've got to do X at X time because, you know, we're here and we're not really going very much anywhere with how the pandemic is raging again anyway. So mm -hmm. it, it's really just a matter of like kind of figuring out between yourself and your partner. In my case, like my wife has been great with, with everything so far. Um, and so when there are the times where I've, I've got a meeting or I've got to you know, book a call or I'm getting on a podcast like this and um, we're able to, to kind of, you know, share the responsibility, which is, which has been great. Before I jump into, um, you know, asking about, you know, what you do and what you're up to. I just wanted to um, respond to that uh, with my sure. own uh, point of view on it, which is, you know, being, being in media, my, you know, concern is uh, having a child that is going to make its needs known through uh, audible indicators, which is probably going to make my job, you know, a lot harder. So there's a part of me that I told, you know, I told my boss this like uh, a year ago, I said, you know what, I say the time I'm 40, you know, I'm 30, 32 right now. I kind of want to get out of media. I focus on a, on a form of work that is easier to balance. So I don't want to transition into, into creative writing, which has always been, you know, my number one uh, passion. So with the eight and I guess at this point, seven and a half years I have left, you know, that mm -hmm. I do have time to, you know, set myself up and be, be ready for that. So I, I appreciate that, you know, this was something that you were, you were, you were thinking about. And I, and I think, you know, parenthood is something that we have the, the luxury of really strategizing and trying to find like, what is, you know, what is the ideal time? What ideal state do I want to be in? What kind of life do I want to create for, you know, somebody else? So uh, that's, that's awesome. Glad we have a little bit of chance to bring that up. All right, here we go. Question. Well, question one, I write it down. It's like, what, you know, uh, what's new? We covered that. So question two, what are you up to these days? You're, you're running a uh, Ben Zettler digital media and uh, is that your exclusive focus or are you um, uh, directing your attention into other realms as well? 
we can call it the exclusive focus right now. Um, sure. Obviously, it ultimately means a lot of different things. The backstory to my business, like I'll, I'll kind of get into that first because I think that speaks sure, sure. very much to to what I do now and why I do it. I started my own business on Shopify nine years ago now. Now that we're in 2022, it'll be nine years in June. Uh, it was a company called Brooktide Sunglasses. And um, why did I start that business? So I got out of college and I haven't... <laughs> There was a few years there where I haven't really said this publicly. And then like now I've sort of like started to say it and I've been on other podcasts and like I, I tell the story. So I, I got a job out of college. I graduated and then I, I worked for um, the University of Maryland baseball team. I went to the University of Maryland uh, for like a one season gig that year, which was excellent. I mean, I, I, I credit so much of what I do and what I know and what my routines are and, and kind of how that's affected my life like to, to that experience working there as an undergrad and then, and then even postgrad. But that was just a one season gig. And then after that, um, I had a full-time job at a, um, a executive development position at a, a, a company, which we'll, we'll go nameless for right now. Um, but I've, I've put the name out there, I guess, before in like a blog post. If it's on LinkedIn, um, uh, we've seen it's it. It's probably on LinkedIn somewhere. Um, but I quit after two days. And because I was unhappy, I was absolutely miserable. Um, I was, you know, never in my life had I really like quit something like that, but um, I just was not in a good place. Like I, I just didn't feel like, okay, I mean, I've now gone to college. I've spent this, you know, these four years, like what, you know, I have all these hopes and dreams about what I'm going to do. And and at the time, like I, mean, I wanted to work in sports. I wanted to be an agent. I wanted to do like this, like, and then all of a sudden I wasn't doing what I was thought I was going to do and where my like path was going. And I was really not thrilled. Um, so after a couple of weeks after quitting, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own business um, at the very least to you know, be something that can sustain me while I work for, you know, look for a full-time job. And, you know, that's, that's really what it became. So, you know, I, 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 I thought about what I wanted to do. I settled on, oh, well, like I'll, I'll make these sunglasses. Like nobody's really doing at, at this price point, like that lower level price point. Um, you know, these types of sunglasses, I found suppliers in Taiwan and, and other folks in China handling other, other things. And, you know, it, it all came together, I think relatively quickly over the course of like, you know, three, six months, everything was sort of settled and I got product like the next spring. But, but I started that business. It was store number... 41,000 or so on Shopify. I remember they told me the number once and I had it written down. I don't know where it is. Um, obviously now there's, you know, nearly 2 million merchants or maybe they've surpassed 2 million at this point. Um, and very quickly after starting that company, I started to help, you know, friend of a friend that's, you know, looking for help building their website. They're starting a business or eventually I started to gain real clients, like people that I just didn't know through a random referral, like, um, you know, I sold services to, um, and then Shopify invited me to their partner program in 2014 and then to their experts program three years later. Um, and then even fast forward to the spring of 2020, um, Shopify plus finally brought, um, a, a consulting arm into their partner program where typically they've reserved that program over the years to app developers and to large scale agencies, um, where, you know, many, many businesses that are out there that are looking for something more than entry-level guidance, but don't have, you know, a quarter of a million dollars for a new website. Um, that's where folks can turn to, um, you know, folks like myself, like in my situation, folks with small teams or, um, you know, solo operators who have that stamp of approval from Shopify that can, that can work with them. But yeah, starting that business ultimately kind of set the table for everything and anything that I do today uh, with Ben Zettler. I was fortunate enough actually to sell the sunglasses company in 2018. So it was acquired four years ago. Um, it sold to a guy that actually became a client for a few other businesses that he's involved in. And also during that time, and this is one of the unique things about what I do. And I, I should pause and mention, like to go back just to your first question um, of you know, what is Ben Zettler Digital and, and what do I do? What do we do? Um, so it is... I'm a consultant. Um, and while my name is on the business, I do have a team that, that I, I have working with me and, and with my clients um, across three key areas of e-commerce. The, the three things that I've learned from my experience with, with Brooktide and then 
I'll get into um, something else in a second that's also relevant to it. But the three things that I've found that um, it takes, you know, any e-commerce business that needs to be operating a certain level with, with these areas to have success. So one, of course, is their website. Um, so we'll help folks with um, these more simple projects, what we'll say, of setting up a, a Shopify website on a new theme or something that is much more intensive, like custom development of a, a new theme or certain elements or creating some sort of custom function or conversion rate optimization or SEO or anything that is website specific. That's one key area. Um, and this is not in any particular order. This is like a sort of, you know, a, a tripod in the way, like, like you know, each of these three things kind of hold up the whole system. But um, so the second is in customer acquisition via paid advertising. Um, so I am a, a Facebook business preferred partner, which really just means that my clients spend enough money. Um, so Facebook and Instagram advertising is very much a part of what I do, as well as Google advertising, Pinterest ads, TikTok, like really all things paid. And then the third key area is in customer retention and customer relationship management, which is where I bucket email and text marketing. Uh, I am a Clavio Platinum partner, so that's, you know... It, up there, I guess, in their partner platform. Um, I, I've worked with over 100 clients on Clavio in the last two years. Um, and I also bucket organic social content strategy there as well. Um, now that takes me back to the other point I wanted to bring up. One of the unique things about my experience in, in being a service provider to any e-commerce merchants, though I, I primarily do work with folks on Shopify, is that I have what I typically call brand side experience. So I, I started my own company on Shopify. I learned the ins and outs of the platform. I got to understand what it took ultimately to build a business, which was, was built you know, pretty heavily on influencer marketing and, and, or pretty exclusively, uh, exclusively rather. But the other side of my you know, brand experience that I can bring to the table when I'm working with folks um, is having worked at a, a large-scale e-commerce company for a long time. Um, so in 2014, you know, while, while having Brooke Tide, like what, what I mentioned before of you know, being a um, uh, not a stopgap solution, but something to sustain me while I was looking for full-time work. I, I eventually found um, a job at a, a PR firm for about five, six months uh, in New York City. Um, and I left that in January, 2014 to uh, work at Steiner Sports. Steiner Sports was the largest autograph sports memorabilia company of its kind in the world for about 30 years. And they were actually bought out by Fanatics. People probably know the Fanatics name more prominently. Uh, they were bought out two, two and a half years ago, uh, which is when I took the consulting work full time. But um, during my time there, I was, I was the first um, employee the company hired with a specific dedication to social and digital marketing. And so that's where I got a lot of the boots on the ground, tactical experience to understand what it took to garner engagement, create a community, you know, the things, all the web three things that people are talking about now of community and, you know, building, you know, brand evangelists and all of that, like, that's all still there, like at any point for any business at any, you know, any given point in time. But, um, you know, we, we had 50,000 cumulative followers when I first started there. And within my first two, two and a half years, we grew that to over two and a half million cumulative followers across LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, properties for the main brands, uh, properties for uh, the CEO, Brandon Steiner, and, and also through like many of the various partnerships that we had, like the New York Yankees and the Nixon Rangers and our retail location. And yeah, two and a half million, great, sexy number. That's why I say it. Um, I, I say that on here, like I say it to clients when I talk about like ser my services and experience. But the, the biggest thing ultimately is that we turn social into a legitimate lead generation and sales tool for the business. We were doing like anywhere from 15 to 20% of total online revenue per year directly referred via social, but then it was also fueling other areas of the business um, you know, email marketing, for example, in the memorabilia world is, um, you know, pretty massive because you think, okay, higher average order value, typically collectors tend to be, tend to skew a little bit older. Um, they are, you know, more used to email as a, a selling channel. And, and so email made up about 50%, 5 of our online revenue. And we doubled our engaged user base um, over a roughly two, three year period via social, via you know, giveaways and advertising and, and everything else. Uh, so my role there expanded pretty rapidly into overseeing not just social, but uh, paid advertising and affiliate marketing and 
email marketing, and eventually our entire e-commerce operation. Um, we actually were on a, a custom-built platform for the website and helped to lead a replatforming over to Shopify Plus. And yeah, then I'd been waiting to take my consulting work full time um, after I had you know, built up a, a decent portfolio, you know, on the side. Um, and Brandon Steiner said to me, you know, we're um, you know, we're, we're getting bought out, so you can you know kind of stick around, get your severance, be on your way, and that's sort of how it shook out. So then, uh, yes, this was June of 2019 is when I took Ben Zettler Digital kind of all in jumped into the pool, you know, uh, and, and decided to move forward with that. And it's funny, like, I remember in those days having some conversations with folks um, that I know, like kind of in the Shopify world, um, you know, some really good partners of mine um, that I've developed, you know, nice relationships with over the years. And and one of them offered me a job um, like that day, the day that he heard about the, you know, me, me leaving. And there was maybe like, five seconds where I was like, eh, should I, like, should I do it? And then, then I told him no. And he's like, all right, good, you know, good decision. Um, and, and he was right. I, I mean, it's, it's been, you know, the best decision ever. Like I said before, my, my goal was to be able to work from home, which I got. And that was, you know, six months pre pandemic. Um, and, you know, really have control over uh, my day to day and, and, you know, be able to, to really just, do whatever I want with, with this, which is um, which has been excellent. I've had a lot of fun so far. Consulting is it's it's one of those positions that I think a lot of people um, you know dream about because it sounds like not exactly labor intensive. You're hopping on a call and you get to uh, share advice and knowledge with others. But I think the challenge with consulting is making sure that you're at the top of your game and that you're paying very careful attention to what changes in the market so that your advice and your experience never goes out of and never goes out of date not even by a couple of weeks and i think one of the advantages to your um that, you know to your operation is with bzdm is you know you're you know by having a direct relationship with clients and working with them you know continuing to study the market understand what's going on, it makes for the consulting side, you know, it, it retains your own confidence as well. So that yes, you're, you're continuing to speak from a place of authority and knowledge. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, you know, one of the things I've actually been thinking about recently is I, I may have a little bit of a branding problem. And why I say that is, yeah, I call myself a consultant, but between myself and my team, we're very much tacticians as well. Mm-hmm. So when we're working with clients, like we're, we're taking on we're, we're building that website. We're not just telling you how to build that website or we're running your Facebook ads. We're not just telling you how to run your Facebook ads or, or the same thing across like any services. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like when it comes to, you know, helping folks and, and, and steering them in the right direction, you know, based on not just the experience that you have, but also what's happening in the market. Yeah. You have to stay, um, you know, to some degree really on top of, everything that's happening and, and what are the tools, what are the technologies out there? Um, you know, sometimes it's funny, like I'll, I'll get a question from a client, like if I've recommended a, a certain app or, or something like that to help them with anything, it could be anything like on their, on their store or with their advertising. Uh, why didn't, why don't you, you know, give us this before? It's like, well, they're, they're new. They just, they just started. And then I you know, started with one client and they're working great. So I made the recommendation to you. And, and so this things are, are constantly, constantly always changing. Um, and that's a good thing, but, um, but yeah, you absolutely have to stay on top of it, for sure. This was a question, I didn't write it down um, on my notepad, I didn't write it down on my, on my <laughs> Word document. Uh, this is something that's been swimming around in my mind for some time now, and I'd love to get your expertise on it. So I'm of this philosophy that you can't grow at the same time that you change. So a simple analogy is if somebody decides they want apples and they find an apple tree, the apple tree takes time to grow and it needs nurturing. Somebody changes their mind and says, you know what, I think I'd rather deal with oranges. Well, they can't convert the apple tree into it. And God forbid they have enough room on the acre that they don't have to knock the tree down and and put another one up. So I, I think that there is a divide between growth and change. Um, from from your point of view, with your you know with your expertise, have you found that I'm wrong and that change is a means of growth, or have you found that change has largely been a lateral move, and then growth has been the vertical move? It's a great question. 
I, I've it's, thought about I'm, this. I'm struggling with this a lot. Every, every no, I've, yeah. I've thought about this in a little bit of a different way recently um, because just thinking of my own sort of career path and where I was for, for a while and then ultimately what I'm doing now and what has enabled me to do what I'm doing now. So that there was, I shouldn't say even like a short period of time. It was essentially like the entire time that I, I was working at, at Steiner Sports, like over those five and a half years to different degrees, like it started small and then it grew and grew and grew. Um, I was doing, you know, other work and I was consulting folks, uh, consulting and, and doing that tactical work too. Um, but I, I was you know, building the business of what I do now over that period. And so when it came time for that specific change for uh, when, you know, you, when you jump into the pool, um, there was a tremendous um, sort of baseline or foundation already in place. Um, so even to, just to take your example, like you have the apple tree. Well, if you have the real estate, if you have the room uh, to plant the orange tree and let the orange tree grow while you're picking apples from the apple tree, that would be the, that, that's the sort of the approach I took, I guess you could say, um, because um, I was able to just kind of hit the ground running when, when it was time to make that change. Now that's not, that's not going to be the case for everybody um, because I'm crazy. Like, <laughs> For, for five years, I, you know what, I, I didn't sleep much. Uh, I sacrificed social relationships. Um, you know, there's, there's negatives. There, there, there's, there's real negatives. Um, but, you know, with where I am now and, you know, I'm doing exactly what I want to do and I have a wonderful wife and now I have a son. And, you know, while we're stuck in this apartment and we've been house hunting for a couple of years and, you know, the pandemic is made the, the housing market crazy. Um, you know, that's really the, the, the least of our worries. You know, we're, we're very, very fortunate to be in the position that we're in. You know, not everybody can take the same approach or the same path. So in other situations, and this is really just my opinion, because this, this hasn't been my experience, but, um, you know, if there comes a time where like, you know, you've been, any person is out there has been thinking about like, for, on a, for my job or my hobbies or whatever it is, like I'm doing this and I don't really want to be doing this anymore and I want to be doing something else. Yeah, be prepared for, the, for there to be that period of time where, okay, you didn't have the space for the other tree to grow, but now that you've cleared the space that you have out, now you can use that as an opportunity to learn and grow and progress and, and you know, go in a different direction. You know, I guess the answer to your question is it happens in different ways, I think, for different people, depending on their circumstances. Well, I, I, I like your take on it because it uh, encourages a more broad perspective on it. No, don't just focus on the one tree, focus on the, the space to, 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 to create it. Because then it was, I was, I'm thinking my own uh, metaphorical uh, hypothetical simulation in my mind is, oh, yeah, no, I'm planning on I'm planting a bunch of apple trees. But wait a minute maybe I should plant some other ones. So, you know, that change doesn't have to be something physical, like actually chop something down. It can be, a, Oh, actually, no, what cross that out. Let's, let's plant this instead. So that I'll, I'll, that's my, that's my takeaway from it for sure. And the other thing too, is a lot of times what I've found is that, you know, it, it, it takes a certain type of person, you know, from a, like their personality and, and what they're willing to do to like, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you do all this? And like, what do you mean? Like, this is just, this is just, I'm just doing these things. Like I'm, I'm working with this client and I got this job and I have this thing. I'm like, okay, that's just what I do. Mm -hmm. So yes, maybe it takes a certain level of crazy in some ways, but I think people do tend to underestimate themselves and what they're actually capable of to, you know, to do at once, like, you know, holding a job and starting a side business or, you know, just, you know, playing in a band on Saturday nights or um, uh, starting a podcast with their friends or like, all these things that like in theory, Oh, it takes a lot of work. And, and you know, I, I'm doing this. I have a time. Like you can find given the right circumstances, of course, like you can pretty much like always find the time if, if you're motivated enough to, to do it. And, and if you're not, that's okay. Um, but I think people tend to underestimate themselves in terms of what they're ultimately capable of. Whether it's music or, or business or lear learning a skill or a language, by design, by cosmic design, the beginning is usually the hardest part. 
because that's when the muscle memory has to be established. That's when all the most, the most amount of mistakes are going to be made. And, you know, just holding out until you, you get those flashes brilliant and then things start to make sense. And then the ball starts rolling and then it's up to the person to decide how much they want to challenge themselves. And, and so, yeah, and, and I maintain it's by design. It, it has to be hard as a starting point because it filters out who's committed, who's a natural at it and who is just adding fluff to uh could already be a saturated uh, situation. Yeah, no, no, yeah. A- absolutely. And and also, you know, don't, don't be afraid to fail either. Like you try something, it doesn't work. Or you move on to something else. That's okay. Yeah. Some of the notes I took down from uh, from your backstory, there's one, I don't even know if I heard this right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just uh, double check. So did you say that you were starting a business as something sustainable while you look for a full-time job? Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, that's that why the, I wanted to confirm that. was that the initial because- motivation, yeah. Right. Like that's the rule reversal for what I think an atypical person would say, which is, I guess I'm going to start a full-time job or look for a full-time job until my business becomes sustainable. So I, I had to clarify it because it does seem to, to be the opposite. So like, can you, um, what, what do you think it is about your decision-making process or even your confidence that, um, uh, th- that compels you to go that particular strategy and say, no, I'm, yeah, no, there's, I can do this. I can, I can, I can, I can make this business work. And then what is it about the full-time work that is more of like the loftier uh, side of it, where that's almost like the goal that you were trying to work towards? Well, I'm thinking back to like my 22 year old self, which right. it's insane to think. I just, I just turned 31 last week. <laughs> like yeah. I, I still feel in a way like my 22 year old self, like I, I, my, in my brain, like I don't feel very much different. It doesn't seem that, that long ago. Um, but thinking back specifically to that time, you know, I was in a very different place just in, in life, you know, um, like, like we talked about before, you know, just out of college. So just out of college, what does that mean? Well, don't have any money, um, you know, and in a position where like, okay, I, I can start this thing and I don't, I don't really have a sense of what's the market, what is the, how far could this go, um, you know, it's funny because Blender's eyewear started like roughly around my you know, same time, maybe a little bit before. And I think they sold for like 30 million or 40 million or 60 million, like some crazy number of like earlier last year. Um, so maybe, maybe that's how, that's the answer to that question. But, um, yeah, I had really no idea. So I figured like, okay, like I can just do something maybe in a way also to occupy my time for getting just like, you know, sustain me like financially, but just, you know, so I don't go crazy, like getting all these like rejections from, you know, job applications. And so it's, it just sort of, it just sort of built over time um, in the same way that even my, my business now has, has built over time. Like I didn't, I didn't start working with clients when um, I was working a full-time job with the vision at the, at first, like, you know, you know, the long-term goal, the lofty, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be working for myself. Sure. Um, you know, actually, my, my old partner manager at Shopify, her name is Lauren Hellstab. I, I always shout her out. Like every time I want to, I do one of these things. She had a conversation with me. Uh, this was probably like seven years ago now. It was a while ago. Um, she said, like, what would it take? How much would you need to be doing, um, you know, to be able to take your, your work full time? And that was the first time anybody had ever asked that question. Like I, I never thought about it. I, like specifically, like I'm, I'm making websites and I'm running email marketing and I'm doing these things and you know it's fun. Um, but I had never thought, okay, this is going to be my my next job. Like I would still like I would go have interviews for like other positions at other companies and never got any of those those offers even when I was working a full time job. Like like it, it just wasn't part of the equation. Um, and I said to her, I was like, I, I don't know, like maybe four times what I'm doing right now. Like I had, I had no idea. And within two, three years, like, like I said, you know, the, the, the long-term 10, 15, 20 year vision within two, three years, it already happened. Um, and I wasn't doing, you know, four times what I was doing at the time. I was doing more like 10 times what, what I thought it would require. like. Like it just, you know, good things happen if you, you know, have some level of consistency and you don't necessarily always need to know what the end goal is. Cause that wasn't, that just wasn't the case for me. Like, you know, some people may maybe would, you know, subscribe to something different, but you know, for me, that just wasn't really the case. Um, 
to go back to your question of like, when I started the sunglasses business, why did I think that, you know, I had to find a full-time job? Like for me in my head, like at the time, that was the most logical step. Like I didn't think like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make millions selling these sunglasses. It was start small. It was like, all right, let me take the, uh, my bar mitzvah money <laughs> and, uh, you know, buy enough, you know, to pay for the mold and for the shipping over from Taiwan and, you know, building the site, which I took, you know, I took three months over the course of a summer, uh, to build the site on Shopify, um, and just like kind of get an understanding of like, what it, what was I doing? Like, Oh, I took some HTML class in high school. Like, let me tr- figure it out. Like it took me three months to do what I could do now in a couple hours. Um, so it's just, you're just kind of constantly in this process of like learning what you can do and then, you know, finding the path that makes the most sense. You know, certainly like now I can think a little bit more long-term, a little bit more strategically about like the direction that my business is going and, and sort of the approach. But, but to some degree, that's, that's what everybody's doing. Like you're, you're, you know, you're taking the, you're making decisions based on the information that's in front of you at the time and then you're, you're running with it. I, you know, a number of uh, points there. Um, but the one that is critical to me that I want to uh, reiterate for emphasis is when you said that something that took you a few months now can take you a, a matter of hours. And and this ties into what I was saying earlier about the hard part is the beginning. And then as your skills develop, efficiencies begin to set in. And the difference between somebody who can do it within you know a much shorter period of time comes from that. It comes from the, that constant building and, and, and developing the skills. So I, I don't care how many times I hear it, it needs to be said and, and it bears repeating. Yeah. And, and that's where I get into a lot of interesting pricing discussions with potential clients. So in some situations where they, you know, I'll say, okay, like I can do this, this, and this, and yeah, it'll be done tomorrow. It'll be done next week. And you want to, and you want to charge how much? And it's just, well, there is that element of like, you don't have to work with me. Number one, you have other options that are out there. Um, but if you try to, to do this yourself, how long will it take you? What's the value of that time? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of conversations I'll inevitably have um, in certain situations, especially in situations where we're, we're taking on like, you know, a site build or something like that. Because, yeah, there, there is that, that experience that has gone into getting an understanding of how to do a certain thing um, and then being able to deliver that thing to someone else for their business. And there's, there's tremendous value in that. And and, it, and I think it's about reframing the client's mind from oh this is expensive because it takes time. When in reality, it's you know it's it's the price that it is because it saves time. Saves time and what and what is the other you know the value that it's bringing when you do X Y Z with your website when you do X Y Z with your advertising like what what's what's the return the actual return like how much money are you going to make because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, like the, it's interesting because, you know, in, in the sort of the pool that I swim in, um, in terms of the types of clients that I work with, or um, like I mentioned before about the plus partner program and how we, we, we as consultants kind of sit in, in sort of a nice in between space between like you know, a company that's ready to spend a quarter of a million dollars on a new site versus, you know, you know, the, you know, companies that need more than entry level guidance. And that that's kind of like, right where I, I typically function best with a lot of folks. But, um, you know, there's still situations where I take on like work with somebody that's starting a business out of their parents' basement, like I did nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still ways that I can work with them. Um, you know, certainly where there are, you know, financial limitations in their situation, like that can be more of a, a consultative approach to a project or something that is, you know, not me, you know, taking on certain tactical work that maybe they wouldn't be able to afford at the time. But yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's always like different ways to try to find a solution and to try to help somebody. The one note that I wrote down that I wanted to uh, I share with you, because you said, you know, it took um, uh, two days for you to quit one of your jobs. Uh, I worked at Popeye's for a day and I quit the, the day after. Uh, uh-huh. A lot of it had to do with mental state. I, I, w- yeah. I wasn't feeling good about myself. I had braces, the girl leg didn't like me back. My hair was long. And and I would look at myself. I would take in the mirror at the Popeye's washroom with a hairnet and just broke down crying. I said, like, all right, all right, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I finished my shift. You know, there was still chicken that needed to be made, but my, <laughs> my, my dad felt so bad. He drives to the Popeye's and he, and he quits on my behalf. So it does make me wonder, like, if I had more, you know, of a, a 
don't give a damn attitude and just had like a, a journaling more positive uh, view of myself if I would just like, oh yeah whatever it's just Popeye's who cares I, I eat the food why, why, why would I feel bad about yeah, getting the food's great yeah yeah <laughs> So, so on to the, to, to the gear shift. So my crack research team, they, they're like, you know, Joseph, just put the question however you would ask it. I'm like, no, I people deserve their credit. So my research team, um, my my producer, my SEO, they, they, they noticed a term that you would use and you brought it up a little bit earlier, which was social selling. Now we've been doing this podcast for quite a few episodes. There are like 150 episodes and we have not talked about this. So mm-hmm. first of all, you're, you're gonna have to give us the 101 off, off the bat, like a social selling. Is this part of a of a longer process where something has to happen first before you get into it or is this something that people can do directly to cold traffic so you're talking about like organic social i'm gonna assume that it's organic i don't know if uh, there's a there's a paid component of it but our view our perspective of it would have been yeah uh, the organic side yeah it's interesting like the that's sort of in a way like the holy grail of what so many companies are looking for like they want to be able to amplify their reach and grow their following and get more sales and and do all of these things and hey if we can just do all that organically and not have to pay anything for it then great um now you know for any sort of matured e-commerce business um everybody has a paid strategy you're you're you know putting out a, a certain level of spend at whatever level that is ultimately uh, across you know social channels across you know google and 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 that should that can and should be a, a very big element of any business but of course like if you can uh, like i mentioned before like build some level of a community uh, or you know conversation around not just the products that you offer, but the the um, ideas that your products speak to, then yeah, you can you can have and build and sustain that community, and and you'll you can use that as a way to you know, drive actual traffic to your site and get people to actually convert. So that, that's that that's the super general piece of it. So what what's like the the piece of that in practice? So thinking about let let's let's talk about at Steiner, like when I was the, the day-to-day tactician on, on our Instagram page and on the Facebook page and on Twitter and on, you know, everything else. Um, so we did a lot, a lot of different things ultimately to, to sell on social. Um, and that was anything from, um, live video shows that we would do with the CEO um, to you know, showcase um, memorabilia and you know what's this product worth and have take call-ins and like like literally set up like a radio show. We made like a studio in the office. We took out an empty office. We you know we did podcasts. We did video interviews with athletes. We did all of these things. Um, in it, in a lot of in some cases like direct selling. Like hey, we're we're on this live video. We're talking about this thing that's this price that is lower than it's ever been before and there's X amount and go buy it. And that, th- that stuff worked all the time, but only worked because we had gotten to a point where we built out a certain level of community of, yeah, having those interviews and giving people access to athletes and, you know, the things that they're sort of interested in that they could, you know, have fun with um, at the end of the day. Or... Uh, on our Instagram page, like doing a lot of like poll questions and engagement and, you know, giving stuff away and, and doing things that would take what, what was nothing at the time to over, it was like, oh, at our peak, like 160,000 followers are on that page specifically. So if you can do that, if you can, to some degree, like build community, meaning like post content that users are interested in and will engage with, whether that means... You know, like so much of social media now it is like, you know, the, the stuff that goes viral is just like the funny memes or like the witty thing or something like that. And that's not that's not necessarily what that means. Like that stuff works, sure. But um, but even just you know, catering to people's interests. So in our cases, like sports fans' interests. What are they interested in? They're interested in like debate about sports and you know, what what are opinions? They're interested in like, okay, if Shaq is in our office. You know, we can show pictures of Shaq, like, you know, signing a thousand size 22 shoes. And like uh, one of our, one of our guys there, his name was Matt, um, you know, Shaq literally shoulder pressing him in the middle of an autograph signing, like just doing 
like cool things like that that you you literally would not get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the things for us that that made it easier ultimately to you know, garner engagement. And and then the next time that we've got a new product that we want to sell or something that we're putting on a cold discount or running a sale, whatever it is, um, you know, people would respond to it because respond positively because they know that we've got a certain authority in the space uh, because they you know sort of know the intention of the content so they are not turned off by constantly being bombarded with you know sales oriented messaging um and and it, it that's just that's sort of how how it worked and how it went and then we just did that um you know consistently for in my case, you know, the five and a half years that I was there, um, you know, it's kind of like the Gary V model of, you know, like he taught, was it the, the, is it the dollar 80 strategy or the two cent? Like I forget what the, what he calls it, but I hear you know, having, 80 and I think the 2080 rule. Yeah. Like, well, like the, the, you know, idea that you can have like a singular piece of content that you can then stretch into other things. So like if we had an interview with a, a with somebody, um, you know, like if it was, uh, like Bob Knight, for example, like if, if Brandon did an interview with Bob Knight and then we could get, you know, a video of Bob Knight, you know, throwing a chair in our office, <laughs> like we can take like the YouTube interview, you get the long form, you get something else that you're putting on Twitter. You have something else you're putting on, um, uh, Instagram, you do that long enough and hundreds and hundreds enough times with enough players, like then, okay, the next year, like, Hey, remember when we did this a year ago? Like it just creates this train, um, that you, that, that just keeps kind of rolling, you know, and it worked out. It was great. (laughs) Was there a hierarchy to which platforms, which social platforms were more important to your audience? I would imagine this might change uh, from niche to niche. Like uh, say putting all your resources into making uh, YouTube content, long form video content. So then that can be edited and extracted, clipped so that it can uh, go onto the more bite-sized platforms or like what was the way that you prioritize the platforms? I think for everybody, it's it's to some degree different based on mm-hmm. you know who's who's your audience? Like where where are your people? Um, and you know, what is the, uh, you know, what are the lowest barriers to entry at the time for, for growth? So in our case, it was kind of twofold, like on the Instagram side of things for like TikTok didn't exist yet. So, you know, on the Instagram side of things, Instagram was in, you know, the, like the sort of growth phase that TikTok is now, or even the, the growth phase that TikTok was like two years ago, let's say where, you know, they're, they're adding hundreds of millions of users a month or tens of millions of users a month. So it's making like growth. I don't want to use the word easy, but um, you know, if if again you have that consistency, you can you know get e- even through not doing like crazy like giveaways or buying fake followers. I think you can get ten thousand followers in a month, you know, rel- in a relatively straightforward way. So that was great. But okay, now let's think about the business. Let's think about who's the typical customer of that business. Uh, average order value. What can somebody afford? Instagram, okay, teenagers, early 20s, are people going to buy a $200, $300, $400, signed baseball? Not in a lot of cases. Um, you know, certainly over time that developed there, but, but for in that case specifically, um, Facebook was tremendous, even though Facebook wasn't adding the tens of millions of users a month and was viewed and still kind of is like as the platform that people don't use very much anymore, but, but yet people are still there. And so, yeah, video content on, on Facebook and when they released, you know, live video capabilities, we jumped on that right away. Um, you know, I, the first live video we ever posted, it snowed and I was home working from home. Um, and the only thing you could, you could only do it from your phone at the time. So I took my phone and then I just put on our website, we put on like a, um, uh, there's like a Mariana Rivera autograph photo up for sale. And I just put like a five second live video on my phone showing that because live videos at the time went as a notification to everybody um, Mm -hmm. that followed the page. So we got an insane amount of visibility from like some super low quality content. Um, But just knowing, you know, what you, what the capabilities were of, of, you know, the tools that you're working with. I just, sorry, just two things I want to also know about. I was like, so there was no prior 
um, notification for for the audience that you were going to go live. Like you just like went live and then based on that. A lot of the time. It, very, it, it progressed very differently where you could, it could be like you could hook into like, you know, actual cameras and that's what we opened up with our studio and you can schedule live sessions and you can do all that. But this was like, our page got the live capability and we could do it from a phone and say like, hey, we're live. And then, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it went. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, which I think is going to be worth bringing up now, you mentioned that in Web3, the main crux of the conversation is building out the community. And to me, you know, describing what you've done with uh, Steiner Sports, did I get that? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. cool, cool, cool. It's important to me to remember that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, is building out the community, setting out the authority and having, actually, so slight detour, because this is another sure. one that I'm actually even more fascinated about is, I guess, the relationship between building the authority and what that does to determine value. Now, this is like a question that I'm kind of like building on the, on the fly here, but how much um, influence did uh, uh, did your company have in setting the price versus just responding to the market price? Like, did you actually have some ability to change course? Kind of, yeah. And that that's probably a little different than what most companies will typically experience, right? Um, right. Especially those, like in my case, or for anybody that you know, folks that I work with now, or anybody that that's listening, like you're you're not necessarily going to be the market leader. So you, yeah, no, you, you don't have ultimate control over price. Yeah. And, and I do think it is worth pointing out too, that in the memorabilia space, a lot of the value is based off a person's own subjective relationship with it. If somebody has high sentimental yeah. value for a certain pro player, they're going to pay the money for it. So that is important. Yeah. It's that. And it's also just with the company having been a leader in the market and also like the different things that you could potentially do. So like if we are creating they were doing a limited edition product that was like a one of one or 10 of 10 or, or something like that versus like having a player sign 3000 of something like there is sort of like set, ultimately setting that market in a way. Um, you know, the market also kind of dictates itself. Like, you know, what are people willing to pay? And then, you know, what are we willing to charge? And, and it, you know, kind of in a way works itself out that way, but yeah, definitely different than most things that, you know, most folks listening are probably like if they're selling, clothing and you know you're not gonna yeah maybe there's a thousand dollar pair of jeans out there but you're not necessarily gonna you know charge a thousand dollars for the pair of jeans that that's, that you're selling right like, it just yeah. it's just different right okay uh yeah i was uh, i was fascinated about that one but going back to the um the the, the primary detour which was so again I'm mentioning you know web3 uh, largely about community it does make me wonder about the what was the principal conversation around around web one and web two because i think one thing is true is even prior to web zero social selling or what we've been talking about here is is key building community building an authority having a message having a brand that means something and is on a mission so what was uh, what, what was going on or what were the primary leading factors in uh in web one and web two i obviously from your point of view from your experience you know what I, I could by no means position myself as an expert in, in Web3 and NFTs and, and, <laughs> all, and, and the things that, you know, and I, if I go back six months from now and I listen to this interview that I'll be like, man, like I, I should have known a little more than I did that, or than I do now. Um, it's just not, I'm not quite there yet. Um, I, I don't quite understand the value of certain things yet. You know, I think one of the things that like, like uh, I'll dive specifically in the whole thing like NFTs. Like I think there is so much that's out there that like is going to lose value pretty quickly and is going to like fail and not work. But I, I think it's just in a different way, formalizing the things that everybody has known since, you know, the beginning of time when it comes to marketing and trying to sell something and sell a product. Um, and it's just sort of like a different mechanism for creating that, community and that group of people that are your brand evangelists and are the people that are most interested in you know the products that the products or services that you sell and how are you presenting the things that you sell and adding value to the relationship with customers or with clients or with whomever it might be so to me like it's funny like i'll scroll through my twitter feed and I, i'm sort of like i follow like a lot of people like in the e-commerce and marketing space and like i don't like i said the mechanisms are different like NFTs and the blockchain and how people buy digital products. And like, that's very, very different than what stuff has been in the past. But 
to me, like the, the principles are still the same uh, in, in terms of like you're selling something, you're adding value in some way. And then based on the value that you're adding, like that, that will dictate somebody's willingness to, to buy from you. I know, I know I'm giving you a little bit of a non-answer again, because like it's, it's really not my world yet. Um, I haven't fully sort of grasped things yet. Um, but, um, but that's sort of my thinking on it. Well, the irony is that uh, because I'm a little tech literate, and by the way, to my video editor with the blue screen, it was working fine so far. And then all of a sudden, so sorry to my video editor, we got this far. Anyways, I, I'm a little like NFT crypto literate. Uh, I'm not great at it. I'm not even the most literate in my own, in my own company. But what I, well, the irony is that with NFTs, oftentimes the way they've described the value is the same way they describe the value of say baseball cards is because they, yep. so each individual is going to have different point of view as to whether or not this is valuable. That allows it to, to have immense value to one person and another person just regarded as a piece of cardboard. Um, I, as somebody who's, you know, Magic the Gathering player, you know, when I pulled out Archangel Havison on Christmas day, I was ecstatic, but everybody else in the room was just, it's, you just pulled out a card. I'm like, yeah, but it's a mythic rare. It's, anyways. So with, uh, with NFTs, it's, it, it is, oh, there's just so, my God, there's so many things that are going to go wrong with it. It's just, you know, uh, growing pains, but the core value of it is any individual could have a way of providing value that other people will subjectively weigh on their own terms. So artists, musicians, writers, which I guess we can just uh, describe as artists, influencers, scientists, Elon Musk, you name it. If somebody has a perceived value, then that can make an NFT, that can make or break an NFT. So it is, it is a fascinating space, but uh, I'll just, what I will just say from my, uh, like for, for somebody like, uh, for people like myself who are interested and want to get their feet wet, but don't want to like, you know, um, bet the house on it. Uh, what I would recommend is just look for ways to do it passively. Like I yeah. edit audio. I used to edit audio before I joined the company here. And I still have one client who is a sports broad, um, uh, 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 a journalist named Gary Wolfel. He does um, uh, the Green Bay Packers. So nice. I'm I'm accidentally a Packers fan now, and uh, and you know when I'm looking at the the audio track, if I notice a, a audio signature that actually looks kind of pleasing, like one of them actually looked took the shape of a sword, I cut that. I put that on uh, OpenSea and just sell that as an NFT. I don't know. That's just it's just gonna work. I just took a random audio track, but it's just a matter of like finding ways to revisit stuff that I'm doing and see if maybe there's additional value there that I would have overlooked prior to. So that to me is like the, the win for NFTs, but um, oh man, I, I just, I just get to just pour a glass of scotch and just watch some YouTube videos of people complaining about how bad NFTs are for the environment and just have a good time. <laughs> we, we hit an hour and, uh, and you said you, you you're going to give it a, a, a little bit extra. Uh, so I'm just going to take that a little bit extra. Yeah, yeah, um, I have a few more minutes. We're gonna we're just gonna wind down with this one because I just want to ask this one really for the fun of it. But sure. um, we 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 know from my team do the LinkedIn stuff. They they saw that you were in a fraternity, and I've always wanted to ask what life is actually like in a fraternity because my frame of reference is uh, old school and Animal House, which I had to confess to you prior to recording. So I would just love to hear like what was what was the day to day experience events. Um, Obviously, we don't want you to be implicated for anything, but you know what? Uh, I just really just love to hear about it. Yeah, thankfully, my time there, like you know, you have your moments um, where where things are you know fun. Um, maybe not quite as as like what you see uh, what you see in the movies. Um, you know, things that are it's a little bit of an exaggerated, um, at least in my experience, a little bit of an exaggerated case, but. Yeah, I would think once Will Ferrell is involved, things will yeah, <laughs> yeah, heighten mean, reality. Fraternity life was uh, was great for me in college. Um, you know, it, it was I, I was in uh, A Pi Alpha Epsilon Pi, uh, a, a Jewish fraternity. Um, so for me, like you know, being a Jewish kid um, kind of gave me a sense of community. Um, you know, kind of being with a lot of people who were like me and, and, you know, in a new place, college, like, what is this? So like kind of help ease that transition, you know, and, and built some of my best friendships, um, you know, through that process. But, um, yeah, for me, like, I also got like a lot of experience out of it. Like that, that ultimately has helped me in everything that I do today. 
I, I was the, the the president of our chapter, and um, you know, just so kind of through that, like even in my time in college, like I kind of liken it to what I what I did for a few years when I had my I had the sunglasses business. I had you know, I was working at Steiner, I was working on the side, like I was doing all these different things. You know, in college, I was a student. I was um, interning for the, for the baseball team, and I was you know president of the fraternity, which was like you know a full time job in itself. Um, you know, learning how to manage people, learning how to manage budgets, learning how to plan events, learning how to, you know, do all these things and build relationships with people at our national organization. And, you know, for me, it was a great experience. Um, you know, it, it wasn't always Animal House every day. Again, we had our moments, but um, but I had a lot of fun. I, I think what, what sticks out to me the most is uh, just the importance of building that community. And, you know, one of, I mean, I, I went to college, didn't, didn't join a frat. Obviously, that's why I'm asking that question. Um, but throughout education some of the closest friends that i've had have all come from people that we bonded together through through school uh so yeah i, I was just uh, curious to hear about that one and with that we're gonna we're gonna wrap this bad boy up um so ben uh it's been it's been a great hour um uh, uh, talking to you hearing your story um and, and and learning from you learning what what makes you tick um so i you know i really appreciate having your time here um the the final question is I'm still developing the closed question meta. Uh, it's it's going to take some time, but uh, it's in two parts. A, if you have any like bits of wisdom or like a Chinese proverb you heard recently that really sticks, uh, feel free to share it. And then uh, let the audience know how they can make contact. And I want to uh, asterisk this especially because you did mention that you know you're willing to help out people who are maybe starting out and they just need you know a little bit of an opportunity. So uh, how would somebody in that situation reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. To, to answer your first question, um, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot lately, like, because I do get the question very often of how, how are you, you know, how are you like, so doing so much with, with Shopify and with this you know, program and this software, like how, how did you start? Like we talked about before, there, there was um, not necessarily like me knowing the answer to, to that question five, six, seven years ago, you don't always have those answers. Um, but if you do something that you enjoy, that you do consistently, and you know, over time, it starts to build where it's, you know, from a business perspective, it's making you money, and it's making you more money, or just from a, you know, overall quality of life, like you're enjoying it, and you're getting more pleasure at like, you're just, whatever that thing is that makes you happy. Um, you know, if you just kind of keep doing it, you don't have to have the answers um, right away. Um, so that's that's what I would say to that. And uh, for people to get in touch with me, so uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's all at Ben Zettler, B-E-N-Z-E-T-T-L-E-R for the people listening out there. And you can uh, always reach me directly. My contact info is on my website, benzettler.com. Yeah. And if somebody that is sort of in the space where they're just kind of trying to start out with something, they're looking to build a business... Um, you know, reach out and, and we can certainly schedule some time to chat. And if there's an opportunity for us to work together, then, um, you know, we can always do that. Um, like I said before, like I'll, I'll work with clients um, across a number of different areas, both, you know, more consultative and tactical work. So, you know, we'll, we'll take on, um, you know, management retainers for larger businesses for, for different services, um, as well as helping out those folks that are just starting out too. Fantastic. Well, 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 once again, thank you for, uh, for for everything you shared with us today. It me, me, means a lot to me. I know I say that pretty much every episode. Oh, God. Oh, God. There was times where I didn't say it. Oh, that's not good. Anyways, so um, it's 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 been it's been a great hour. And yeah, I'm happy to uh, to have you back. You usually give it a couple of quarters, you know, uh, just okay. to let some time space <laughs> out. But uh, we'd be more than happy to, to have you back and, and, and carry on the, the conversation. So um, with that, to my audience, as always, it is an honor and privilege to collect this information. Use it for my own benefit, but your own benefit as well. I haven't thought, I haven't, sound like I don't think about you, the audience, uh, but nonetheless, to collect this information, share with uh, with the world, it, uh, uh, it means a lot to me and to everybody. All I have left to say is take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might've found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. 
We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>